the world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layered timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve is available from $995. Current users can download the updates for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagicdesign.com. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, I'm your host Gordon Burkell, and well first, I apologize for being so, so tardy with this episode. And we've got the final part of our interview with Christopher Tellison. And I know a lot of people have emailed me, a lot of people you know, sent me Twitter messages, you know, where is it? Here it is. Now, the reason we've been so late is all of April I was working, we did the live uh, NAB streams. So if you weren't on AOTG.com, you can always catch those on YouTube.com slash AOTG.com and dot is spelled D-O-T, not dot. But they were a huge success. So we're actually going to be expanding those. Lots of viewers, lots of engagement. And so we're excited about that. And we're going to uh, do a, another one with Sight, Sound, and Story, which is part of the Manhattan Edit Workshops events coming up in June. So look forward to that. Make sure to, of course, rate us on iTunes and and if you haven't already, check out our original app, AOTG, on the uh, iTunes Store or the Google Play Store. Or check out The Assembly. If you haven't heard of The Assembly, it's our magazine that's interactive. So as you're reading the articles, you can actually dig deeper and it pulls from our database. So make sure to check that out. So back to my interview with Christopher Tellison. This episode, we talk about Moneyball. We talk about Capote a bit. I can't tell you how appreciative we are of Jeremy Weinstein for putting us in touch. And of course, if you haven't already, check out Christopher's work on the doc, Lambert and Stamp. But in the meantime, enjoy our interview about Moneyball and Capote. I'd love to talk to you about uh, Moneyball. Uh, it's a film that I love. Oh, I'm glad to hear it because you love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wonderful film, really. It's very special, very different, very odd. I love how odd it is. Well, it's, it's crazy because it actually comes from a book all about statistics. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have a chance to read the book before? Oh, of course, of course, of course, of course. And, you know, most people are like, how do you make a movie out of that book? Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, you know, it had a, a real genesis. It, it had, it was originally Steven Soderbergh's project, and that was going to be more documentary-like, having real players in it, et cetera. And that got, the plug was pulled on that from Sony in the year before we started and during that year, it was re rewritten and reconceived, and then it came on. Then it had his his concept of how to do it, which was uh, which was very smart, which is much more from the much more from the perspective of thinking differently. That was the real core. I was going to talk to you about the the table scene with the scouts because it re relied heavily on the actual scouts. And I was wondering if you could tell me how you approached cutting the scene. So that's such an extraordinary scene, and the, the history of that scene is that, and it took a long time for that to be written and also cast, and then it made the wise choice of, well, they were, they were like, researching it, and, and they had all these real guys that they had to, to talk to, and 
and you know, as, as like um, you know, to, just to, to give them ideas. And he just said, "Why should we look further? These we should use these guys." And so half of them are real scouts, you know, and old guys like in their from ranging from seventy to ninety. And then some actors within that, and some some like crossovers, like the the guy who's the really the, the one that really gets in his face that he fires. He's a guy who had a baseball background and then went into um, commercials because he had a great voice and all that kind of stuff. And Bennett, I think, met him on a commercial and remembered him. And so that kind of evolved. And then it was like a, like a four-day shoot of like, you know, rewrites and a lot of improvisation and a real challenge for Wally Sister, the cinematographer. How do you shoot 15 old guys around a table with a fluorescent light over their head? And what came of that was the beautiful kind of um, documentary way of shooting it in these raking side shots, making profiles with all with a lot of movement and shifts of focus. And that's that was like when when I got to dailies, it was like, oh my god, this stuff is amazing. So I barely ever used a straight on shot. They're all like raking raking profiles and overs and dirty shots. You know, I, that's something that I always like. I, I love a kind of a messy shot, messy and a beautiful, beautiful mess, you know, like I, but then there's things, then I can make a complete contradiction in a film like Capote, which is like incredibly austere and, and clean, you know, deliberately with style. Well, and, and speaking of Capote, there's, when I was, when I was talking to Jeremy about this interview, he was like, you got to talk to him about the change in dramas being produced in Hollywood, just from Capote, Capote to Moneyball. So I was wondering if you could sort of touch on how sort of the studio system's changing and and production of these types of films is is dwindling or changing. Oh, it's so. Oh, oh, okay. It's very different. I mean, just totally different. I mean, well, Capote was a tiny film. Capote was made for seven point five million. It was like shot in thirty days in Winnipeg, and they filled the party scenes with the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. That's how they found all these like um, good-looking young people and, and, and elegant women and, and guys and stuff. So they filled the film with those people as, uh, as extras. So the, the making of Capote was very fascinating because it was originally greenlit by MGM UA. Then after the shoot, they fell apart and they were eaten up by Sony. So it had to be moved to Sony at some point. It was very interesting. It was very, very interesting. And it was eventually distributed by Sony Classic. And before it was given to Sony Classics, we did a major shoot, which was a really interesting thing, a very needed thing, because I was, I was having struggling with the structure of the movie in that there was, in the original script, there wasn't that, in, which is in the final film, the party scene in the beginning. That was shot later. It was shot later for the for the need of having a context for him, because without it, it was like the the murder happened. The girl discovers the body. There's the call out across the plains to to New York, and it's 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 just him reading the paper and making the decision and getting on the train, and then then he's with Mel Harper Lee, and then he's in campus, and you didn't get the chance of, of really understanding, especially if you if for people who did weren't that familiar with Truman Capote as a figure, that he was a major literary figure and a big person on the social scene at the moment. So then he's this fish out of water in Kansas. 
and you just didn't feel that. But with the party scene, which was beautifully done, you get this context of this man that everybody's hanging on his every word. He's the life of the party, and he's like this out gay guy in 1959. You know, it's like, Interesting, interesting stuff. And then he gets on, and he makes this decision, gets on this train. Then you get, you know, Harper Lee, who, who sees right through him. She's not hanging on his every word, and she challenges him. And and then he goes to Kansas, and you feel him being a fish out of water. So it's like that context is so important. But um, it's so hard to talk about the difference from there to there. Then, you know, with something like Moneyball, which was like a very challenging movie, structurally challenging movie, but also, it had the challenge of having, you know, like the, the studio where you had sunk $15 million in it before it even started. And they were, they were nervous, you know, they were nervous. And we, we worked very hard to get it, you know, to tell the story and to get it right. And they, you know, they really didn't know what the hell they had. They, they did. And when we had our first preview, we did, and we were like, you know, we had a way to go. We did very well. And they got very excited, I remember. They, they just like poured over the numbers and the, 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 the kind of response and were, were like very excited because it seemed like, oh, this, this, there's, a, there's a real interest in this. So then we just you know, kept going until, until finished. And I was like, you know, it, was, it was challenging, it was difficult, but, it, but it's, it's very beautiful. And then there's so much wonderful casting in it. Brad and Jonah were just so, their, their dynamic was so strong. And that young girl, Karis, was saying his daughter was so moving and so lovely. And, and you know, that was a, um improvisation when she says, you're such a loser, Dad, in the uh, song. And that was the studio was so nervous about it, and it was like, "Are you kidding? This is brilliant. This is that's the kind of shit teenagers throw at their parents. You know, it's like so real. You know, it just felt so real. And it just gave it a depth and beauty, and you know, all kind of stuff. And so, in a way, Moneyball was most charmed, and, and and but 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 tough. You know, you ended up removing uh, the mother. What was I guess the decision behind that? Oh, but not mother. Some- not the mother, Sorry, the, the wife. wife. Yeah, well, that was that was a matter of it made him less alone, and you know, like it was the struggle. That the story is a man struggling against you know a tide of resistance, and it was sort of in a way to to take away that comfort, and also put more on his relationship to the daughter, just strengthened the story and the and the, the outcome, and and gave more weight to Jonah's character, and you know, it was. It was definitely a balance. It was a balanced thing that just strengthened the telling of the story. What were some of the challenges in, in removing her in terms of balancing structure for scenes and stuff? The biggest challenge was there was one really wonderful scene. Wonderful scene of them that was improv. It was, it was practically completely improvised. It was just after the 20th game. He's having dinner with his wife, and he's like just talking about how this is, you know, this isn't the end. This isn't, you know, something to celebrate. There's, there's so much more to go, you know, it's like that, that kind of, and which is very much his, like, you know, he's never satisfied. He's just, you know, never. And she's trying to comfort him and it's like impossible, you know, and so in taking out that scene, it was such a, a clearly important moment. We had to, we had to reconfigure it to be with Jonah. And we stole shots from another scene with Jonah and, and 
had changed voice of, of Brad and moved his, his the, all the dialogue that was his from the, the dinner scene. We had to have uh, the sound department take out any kind of sound of cutlery <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and had it just happen right after the 20th game and then dovetail into when they lose. And then eventually, and we, we previewed with it, we completely cheated. And then for the final film, we did shoot, uh, excuse me, Brad's side of it. And he was wonderful and that worked out well. But that was a big challenge to, you know, kind of cooking up that, uh, what was missing. So that was my interview with Christopher Tullison, and we have a lot of interviews stacked up and ready to go. It's just that we're, we're so swamped. So we, we've got some people helping us now cut. And in the next episode, you'll start to hear about them and, and probably start to meet them too. Remember to check out Lambert and Stamp for Christopher. We Gotta Stick Together. It's a great doc. It's gotten rave reviews. And if you're a Who fan, it's it's a doc you gotta see. So again, thank you to Christopher Tellison and of course, Jeremy Weinstein. If you haven't already, check out The Assembly on the iTunes store or the Google Play store. And of course, give us ratings for this podcast or the application. I'd like to thank Lauren Woodcock, Christopher Tellison, Jeremy Weinstein, the American Cinema Editors for helping us out too. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.